This is the very coffee edition of The Secret Ingredient, a show on CFRU 93.3 FM where we talk about art and ideas. Um, today, I am joined in the studio. My name is Janika Evering. I'm joined in the studio with... Yusuf Ramadi. And... Steph Yates. And we're really excited to have you here, Steph. Steph is Thanks. a thoughtful um, and curious polymath who we've come to know as a screen printer, bookbinder, woodcut maker, stop-motion animator. She's the co-founder of a record label, Little Room Labs, with her partner Tyson Brinicombe. Um She's a videographer, herbalist, researcher, bassist, guitarist, vocalist, songwriter, and drummer. Um, she holds down the fort at PS Guelph um, and has exhibited internationally in Greece at Art Athena. Um, she's the recent recipient of a video grant with Ed Video and uh, is one of the seven new residents of the Arts Incubator here in Guelph. Hello, Steph. Well, hi, you make me sound pretty busy. <laughs> you are really busy, I think. <laughs> and uh, Yusuf Ramadi is a BA Honors in Studio Art. Um, his undergrad focus was on video and photography and primarily using found material, and he's a community liaison for people of goodwill. Um, and we're really excited to have him co-host today. <laughs> hey, Yusuf. Hello. Cool. <laughs> so, um, Steph, I wondered if we could maybe... Do you want to just ask your first question? Um, sure. Yeah. Um, okay. we'll, start, we'll start with those. I think it's a good place to start. Okay, sure. Um, so, I guess my first question is, I was just wondering if there was, like, a theme or a mm. narrative that exists both in your music and in your visual art. Hmm, yeah, I... I think there's probably some crossover there. Um, I, I'm really drawn to mystery and tragedy and magic and juxtaposi ju juxtaposition um, and, and vagueness, I guess. I feel like um, uh, maybe in some of the videos I've made and some of the songs I've written and recorded, you might sort of catch a glimpse of a story, but maybe it's not all spelled out for you or handed to you. Maybe there's kind of something non-linear there, and I guess those are the kinds of stories that I've been playing with. I find there's something intriguing in, um, you know, maybe just catching a glimpse of something or an outline or a shadow of it, you know, figuratively or or literally and not uh you're the viewer the listener is left to imagine and i mm -hmm. i think that i mean that appeals to me absolutely I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah there was a i recently went to a conference called this is paradise in toronto just this last weekend so all of these thoughts are really kind of fresh in my mm. mind it was organized by artist louis jacob who i think we have had on the show yet yeah, last summer cool. and barbara fisher who's kind of a world-renowned curator who works at the justine m Barnica gallery in toronto and um there was a panel about collectives and collectivity and it's kind of one of these interesting histories in toronto because um there were a lot of collectives at a certain point in time 
time, kind of around the 70s. Um, but some of them, all that's left of them now is are their names, and we don't really, or their meeting minutes, and we don't really have anything, any sense of that kind of like rich, um, fertile conversation that happened mm -hmm. during them. And so she was saying that, like, for her, there's something about projecting your imagination into that gap historically. Whoa. So she'll say that there's like there's there was this line that she really liked discussion of future of the institution was held. Like this is like mm. a huge discussion, obviously full of like people feeling frustrated and people feeling hopeful and people feeling sad and like all of these kind of rich feelings that she can project as a kind of interpreter of that history into that gap. Yeah. Um, it's really powerful. So I wonder <laughs> if maybe this this kind of this kind of illusion or this um, yeah. vagueness is maybe part of that, that there it does leave space for an, an interpretation. Yeah. Have you ever had this experience, or I'm sure you, ha or you have, um, where, uh, okay, so some, sometimes I'm reading something or I'm talking to someone and something is mentioned or alluded to, some other work. It's just, it's just barely touched on, just enough to kind of give you this little idea and you, what you take away from that, you start imagining what that thing is and... Um, when I seek out that thing and find it and digest it, whether it's music or film or another book, or it's it kind of always falls short. It kind of is never what I imagined that it might have been. It's never quite as it does. It can it can never just be the thing that I sort. Is of, it less complicated than what you imagine? Well, sometimes? it's just not the same, yeah. you know. And yeah. I I feel like probably what I should do is right that instant get to work on making the thing that I thought it might be, you know, right, yeah. but I don't know, I've always been um, struck by how powerful s sort of just just this uh, this tiny fragment of knowing what something is about um, mm -hmm. can, like how that can ignite your imagination and, and <coughs> you know, it can be something better so maybe yeah like mm -hmm. reflecting on these histories and you have just minimal documentation uh yeah it sounds it sounds like there's lots of room to i mean i don't know if, if that's useful if if the history is important then you know to to but imagine what it might yeah. have been i don't know what that means <laughs> but well i i think i of course many historiographers would be uh, in opposition to me, but I often feel like our histories are important because of what's come out of them and how we're interpreting them. And mm. so if it's almost less about what happened than what you as a person from the present can find in it. Um, so I was thinking about this in terms of Philip Monk gave a talk about punk in Toronto, the history of punk in Toronto, and how it related to the art collective General Idea, and how General Idea kind of had their house punk band in many ways, like Andy Warhol had Velvet Underground, and that he kind of, they produced them in a way. And it was really interesting to have that kind of investigation of that moment in history in the 1977, 78, and 79. But I almost wondered if it was relevant because of what happened after it. So mm. um, looking at Will Monroe, who is a pretty famous DJ, and did these kind of Vaseline parties in Toronto um, in the late 90s. And so seeing that in relation to these kind of things that happened, I wonder if that process is kind of important for us finding our roots as 
people working in an art scene in the present. So I wonder if maybe maybe leaving a little bit of that mystery to to mystery. Yeah, yeah. I think it probably starts with um, the Lost Generation. So the writers, the expatriate writers after World War II, who were still mm-hmm. in Paris. Um, so Hemingway using the iceberg method, which is um, burying most of the context and then only just having a little bit available mm-hmm. and even using plain speak. So right. just very basic English, um, very direct. And in that context, still submerging so much of the true context of what happened. And then this postmodern or modern wave affected all other areas of art, so music itself and fine art. And I feel like it affected music and fine art at the same time. And some mm-hmm. of those people even went to school with each other, like Roxy Music, Brian Ferry from Roxy Music, went to school with some of these postmodern artists from the Fluxus, from Fluxus and mm-hmm. whatnot. So they shared these concepts, even though the mediums were different, they shared the same kind of concepts. Are the beatnik writers too, they had relationships with the postmodern artists as well. Right. And so then there's a conversation between music and art. Yeah. Kind of we are having a paradigm shift and mm-hmm. we're all doing it together. Right, right. Yeah. And it's playing off and probably playing off not only across music and art, but maybe more than that too. Um, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Cool, cool. Um, Steph, I'm wondering if we can play a song and then get back to a conversation okay. with you. Does that sound good? Okay. Um, do you want to try the record? And sure. start with the record? Okay, so this is um, Buttermilk. Uh, this is probably one of the be- most beautiful records that I own. Um, Nathan Campanero has made this really beautiful um, screen print of a cat in a window, um, cat on a garbage can, and then there's like kind of this moon in the background that you see, and as you open it up, like a present, it like it looks like it could be perhaps some sort of diorama, mm-hmm. um, and there's a little narrative on the back of the um, the record um, case where there's a cat in a window, and then you turn pull it down, and the cat's escaping out of the window. And it's really, <laughs> really, really cute. Um, so I, there are only 200 of these. If there are any left, Steph, there's there about are. 25 okay. left. So I heartily encourage anyone and everyone to get a copy of this record. And it's you have these beautiful. copies. And the music, <laughs> the music brilliant. is truly yeah. amazing, too. It's a little seven-inch. Um, so we're going to hear Buttermilk, which is the first song on that. And hopefully this record works. Yeah. Oh, you gotta speed it up. Oh, you gotta. <laughs> <laughs> Look for the 45 button. There we go. <laughs>
And so a little taste of the next song on Buttermilk. Um, the hairy ballerina. The hairy ballerina. Like in her armpits? Or yeah. his armpits? Uh, her, her, you know, yeah, her legs and armpits. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the LP is called, the EP is called Buttermilk. The the the, the the yeah the it's, it's I guess we call it sort of the buttermilk seven inch and mm-hmm. there's three songs on that the moon kind of looks like it's a buttermilk color a little bit yeah yeah cool cool um, we're in the studio with Steph Yates a very talented musician and artist um, and you're listening to CFRU ninety three point three FM in Guelph. So Steph, we wanted to ask you a little bit about some of these music practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to ask you about your use of, um, like, vocal pedals and modulators um, and how that's changed from when you first started playing music to how you're using them now. And, um, yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when I first started uh, Esther Gray, so I, I had been doing some backup vocals um, for a while, but I... Uh, I was a, a nervous performer. I was, I felt shy. You know, the idea of performing felt pretty frightening to me. And um, I, you know, I got my first guitar amp. I, the songs that I had written before were uh, quiet songs that I played alone. And to perform, I kind of needed, uh, you know, to find this sort of strength and bravery. And so. To, to put my vocals through a guitar amp, you're already getting a bit of distortion. To make them kind of louder, um, I just needed sort of a cloak. Like, Esther Gray, the name kind of served as one cloak for me, and then disguising my voice in a way was another. So I, I put my vocals through um, a tube screamer or a distortion pedal and um, reverb, and that kind of... It just allowed me to, you know, feel safer, I guess, or feel mm-hmm. stronger. Um, and maybe it was a bit of a crutch at first, um, but, n- you know, it, it really became an aesthetic choice. Yeah. Um, and it's something that uh, lots of people, you know, some people appreciate it a lot and then some people don't understand. I've had lots of sort of sound guys come saddle up to me and say, you know, honey, you know, you could, uh, you got a pretty voice. Why don't you let the people hear it? And You'd be a lot pretty if you just smiled a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, yeah, it's an aesthetic and to have, to, to choose to have your voice, your voice sound, yeah, a bit distorted and a bit raw and loud mm-hmm. and, Maybe it's maybe. I mean, reverb can do a lot of things. It can smooth over mistakes, and it can also add a bit of that mystery. Or, um, yeah, it's uh, it's. I don't know. It's it's kind of Esther Gray sound. Yeah, and it's been you know. So, um, I I've done a few other recordings or performances where I've been solo and that's been a whole new chapter of scary and then I've you know I'm interested in exploring more clean vocals but I think for Esther Gray you know I don't always want to sound pretty sometimes mm-hmm. I want to sound other things you know yeah yeah good answer 
Thanks. Yeah. Well, and I wonder if this kind of like um, there's a an aesthetic representation of identity in that mm-hmm. um, that decision that you can kind of choose differently in a different context. I wonder. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, and I think it might relate to. Um, I just think. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that brings me to my second, my third question. Um, I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> the most <laughs> no, no problem. Um, it's early in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess um, um, what my next question, kind of just trying to figure out what it would be like to be um, a female lead in a male-dominated music scene. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily negative or positive, but basically what some of those hurdles have been or what have you learned from those experiences? Yeah. And I like that kind of totally ties into that idea of, of someone settling up to you and saying like, Oh honey, your yeah. aesthetic could be different or yeah. like, yeah. yeah, this is what you should this do. This is what you this should do. I know better. Like, Prune to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've had, there's been lots of those experiences, those like similar things to that, um, which are, you know, they kind of wear on you sometimes, or they're kind of funny sometimes. I mean, I think I've been really fortunate in a lot of ways because I've found myself in a lot of spaces where I feel safe or I feel like I belong. And Guelph's been um, a really warm place, and I feel a lot of respect and camaraderie with the other musicians that are mostly male here. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I mean, I'm, yeah, I mean, a lot of other women. Some women I know have to deal with a lot, a lot of worse things. Uh, someone I know, um, a really strong, tough female lead in London. Uh, her name's Patterson. She plays in a band so young. She's fresh in my mind because I just saw her on Saturday in mm-hmm. London. She, she's really outspoken. She's really brave. I really admire that about her. And she, I mean, she was kind of getting picked on or you know there was a lot of misogyny like a lot of really outward um aggressive sort of stuff happening in london at one time and from so the she audience? Was, like from people in the in the community like wow. yeah and um you know she she's like very outspoken she's she talks about it she's defends herself she speaks up for herself she's still doing it she's doing it like just still making music and being you know having a voice and I you know I don't I guess maybe now I'd be strong enough to deal with that kind of thing but definitely um yeah at a certain point you shut down I guess too in the face of that yeah. yeah well when I when I started performing um okay I guess when I was still sort of backing people up um I'd I'd sort of picked up on some of this this energy I'd had you know people would comment on how I looked more than how I played and when Esther Grace started um, I was very much in a, a place of uh, where I was at with gender it was I was not that interested in being really feminine and I think that when I started performing as Esther Gray where I was the lead person I became even more sort of, um, I don't know if sensitive is the right word, but I I felt uncomfortable 
enough being on stage and being looked at and and performing and being watched and being heard. All of that was uncomfortable. And then, you know, I was rejecting, you know, the this traditional uh, ways a woman should appear, kind of. I, I had really short hair and I was just wearing... I was just trying to make it a non-issue. Like, I just didn't want to bring more attention to myself. It was... Uh, it wasn't all calculated and thought of, but that's just kind of where I was, and that's sort of how how I entered into how I how I made it through. I you know I had to find ways to feel comfortable. Like I said, you know, cl- the cloaking and the the just it really ties into the your use <coughs> of pedals too, kind of like masking yeah an identity even I like are your gender yeah exactly, <laughs> and it makes perfect sense. Like the idea of for me to like perform in front of cameras terrifies terrifies does me. it yeah, yeah but to direct someone is like very different that's like that's interesting yeah. yeah 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 there's maybe a, a anxiety with being the focus too and yeah. and having so because i think people people project themselves into situations too kind of like the projecting yourself into that kind of like creative mm. gap that we were talking about earlier i think people project themselves into situations oh. and and interpret things in their own way. So then you, as the focus point of all of that interpretation, it makes sense that you would want to to guide that a little bit too, and to not yeah. play into a stereotype or to play into a certain um, expectation that they might have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I also it wasn't you know direct. Oh, I need to to reject femininity in order to be taken seriously but i feel like some of those feelings were probably there you know to have performed and to hear to to you know maybe someone said something like you know maybe i got all dressed up for a show and i just had these little parts to play and someone maybe said oh you don't you don't even need to play good when you when, when you, you look, look that good <laughs> something like that you know and maybe i i just I didn't, um, yeah, maybe I thought there was kind of a way around that. Maybe I just wanted to, Yeah. I needed to figure out how I was going to be, did I, I don't know, if did I want to be taken seriously? I guess I did. I mean, I guess I mm-hmm. kind of did. This is true, like, mm-hmm. kind of very, very, very historically about female writers representing themselves by only their initials because they want to right. feel, be perceived potentially as a man Um, or even yeah George Sand kind of like took on the name of George as a way of of being interpreted that way and unfortunately because we still live in a patriarchal society that though like a man is the norm and so only like even still only a man can be interpreted as neutral really even though it's clearly not neutral but because of the way that we live in this system yeah exactly that is the the assumption yeah so yeah that's the norm yeah um so then you would play into that i think as a performer yeah interesting though someone pointed out to me how i chose such a feminine name she's like it's so feminine it's not black or white it's gray and it's uh-huh. you know esther this sort of yeah i i it's can't explain kindly it. older lady <laughs> i feel like it's very gray too i feel like it's neutral mm. oh you mm-hmm. think it's neutral yeah yeah, yeah yeah i feel like esther is a wise name mm-hmm. yeah. you know an but old it is name so feminine. but maybe yeah. it's yeah, yeah it, it, it is, is yeah. feminine but, but the gray adds the the gray area mm. you know what i mean the neutral i feel like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and yeah, maybe we can. Yeah, there's an, uh, something to be put, picked up on age too, because Esther is kind of a, mm. a a name of a bygone era. So there, it yeah. makes sense that there. I don't know. The the focus is off it now. Yeah, in a way. yeah. I don't know any Esthers personally. Right. No, I did. I did. Yeah. One. Yeah. I she think was Madonna was an Esther for a second. No though. way. For yeah. a second. <laughs> a hot minute. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We're going to play a little song, I think, um, from the collected works of Esther Gray. Um, and I think we're going to play Solstice. Does that sound good? Sure. Okay, oh, yeah. Cool. This is like, I forgot about that, that there's a recording of that out there. This is, it's sort of, I guess it's a demo. This is a... It's going to take a new shape on the album. It's Ooh, like this cool. is sort of an unofficial. Right, this is but the I guess, practice yeah, tape they're for all Fest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool.
Yeah. So that was uh, Esther Gray, their song after brackets, after the solstice, <laughs> um, from Practice Tape, and it'll be out on the upcoming record yep. in a different form. It's pretty great. So we've reached the midpoint of our show, which is, uh, as always, time. Are you guys ready? Time for the corkboard. Oh, that was great. We're really excited this week. Alana Gurr and the Great Estate are playing the awesomest show ever with Lowlands and Green and Gold uh, from Newfoundland Friday at uh, at 10 o'clock. Um, they're playing the E-Bar. $10 the tickets are. It was a little Yoda, Yoda-esque. Um, and uh, I think it's going to be a really, really great show. Um, Alana and Lillian's back together. And then um, Green and Gold, which I think was her backing band when she played in... Um, St. John's. St. John's, yeah. Um, Steph is part of a band called Shopkeeper with uh, Scott Haynes, the local musician, and Alana Gurr plays bass. And uh, they did a little tour out east and uh, in St. John's Alana played with Green and Gold as our backing band and then you played with Family Video as your backing band yeah the wonderful Noah and Jake yeah, yeah mm. it sounds pretty amazing yeah uh, Imposter Grey that's right <laughs> um, truly wonderful more disguises yeah. yeah and speaking of Alana and Steph's projects together next week we're really excited um Kazoo is turning nine, which means Kazoo is probably still going to the corner store for bubble gum, <laughs> but they have all their adult teeth now, and uh, <laughs> maybe in grade four, starting to have their first real crushes. Um, so uh, the ninth anniversary of Kazoo, we're celebrating with a three, four night, three nights? Three nights, yeah. Um, three nights of concerts. Night one, Steph... Yates and Elena Gurr are presenting Cupcake Duct Tape, which is a very exciting new project. Steph, do you <laughs> want to say like two or three words about it? I will just say that it is so much fun. It is ridiculously fun. It's this, uh, it's a really healthy uh, collaborative thing that Elena and I are doing. It's uh, it's the antithesis of overthinking. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. This is the sense I get, too, that it's not precious. It's just kind of, like, yeah. um, spontaneous and exciting, and, and things can be pulled into music that, like, a love for Dame Judy Dench and hair in your salad and all of these yeah. wonderful things can kind of come together. We sit down and ask, what do you want to write a song about? I don't know. You know what really pisses me off? Yeah, okay. <laughs> song. Done. That's yeah, so great. Well, and in like in the true spirit of punk, right? There's something that is raw and immediate. unabashed and immediate yeah. about it. So that's going to be on Wednesday night, June the 10th, um, at Silence. Doors are at eight. They're playing with Makema, Makamia, and Big Brave. Um, that's the co-presentation with Silence and Pop Montreal. Thursday night, the Gordon Brothers, formerly The Magic, are playing with Maker Starling and Hank at Silence. Doors are at 8 again. And then the third night, Friday, June the 12th, um, Danny Fury is playing with Army Girls and The Skeletones 4, which is their album release, and DJ Slow Jam. So that's going to be at the E-Bar. Doors are at 9.30. All the shows are all ages and... Uh, licensed and covers ten dollars so come out next week and celebrate nine years of kids it's gonna be great um so stuff i think um 
something that I'd like to hear a little bit more from you is about this, the power in being ambiguous. Mm. Um, I went to the conference this last week and there was a panel about feminist art in Toronto kind of over the last 40 years, which is really incredible. And there were conversations from about some of those early collectives, which really were kind of like part of women's centers. So there these ambiguous spaces maybe in general too that would bring together artists with activists and um, resource centers and all these kind of things Um, and Sherry Boyle was on that panel and she talked a little bit about how the permission to self-represent is the key of feminism so saying being able to say yeah I'm an artist and Hmm. I'm not going to be shamed about that I I can choose this identity for myself is a really powerful key to feminism but she also Hmm. kind of acknowledged that um, that kind of self-representation is contradictory. Like she said, we renew our ideas constantly and we constantly con- contradict ourselves. So mm-hmm. um, I'm just interested to hear a little bit more about this idea of labeling and remaining amorphous because I think they're both powerful positions and in a way. And in a way, like choosing to be amorphous and choosing to separate self-represent as something that is ambiguous maybe is a power in itself right i guess there's so many uh angles to this like, yeah for sure it's really uh, it's an interesting topic um i mean it took me so long to say i to feel comfortable saying i'm a musician i'm not sure what i was waiting for i mean that's mm. that's a whole maybe that's a whole other issue but no, totally it's kind of scary to to make a declaration about what you are and it's true like sherry points out it, it might change or yeah or and it, where it you always stand changes on something yeah, yeah yeah you're right it always changes yeah. yeah and maybe where you stand like what that means to you too like yeah what when you say i'm a musician what that means to you might be something different than what someone else would exactly. like, kind of project onto you. Yeah, it's like as though if I had said I'm a musician a few years ago, someone might jump out of the bushes and ask me to prove it. <laughs> and then maybe, you know, I'd fumble and, oh, Where's your card? no, you're not a musician. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I like ambiguity, and labels are kind of, um, yeah, they're a tricky thing. Um, but I guess... I guess some of that maybe uh to be able to label yourself or to uh self-represent or define what it is you do or what you're striving to do or who you are maybe that is maybe that's important to to branding like mm, yeah. if you're creating a self-image I mean as a an artist or something maybe that's important to being recognized and being Maybe it's part of being taken seriously. Maybe if you skirt around um, a- around the labels enough, maybe you get labeled as a, a label skirt around <laughs> or right, 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 right. Like Thomas Pynchon, who hasn't had an interview ever, and so he's this like mysterious writer. And yeah, I think he was represented on The Simpsons with a paper bag over mm, his head. Right, <laughs> but this is the thing. Yeah, yeah I guess if you if you evaded enough you are still kind of contextualized as that. Yeah, and but maybe then maybe you're not empowered. Maybe it's maybe the way I dread having to write um an artist bio Bios. or a band bio. Source. Maybe um maybe I need to own up to that more. Maybe I need to hmm. take hold of Sherry Boyle's idea that, you know, to self represent, to be able to 
to to describe myself instead of having someone else do it for me. Maybe that's mm-hmm. important, but it's it's kind of confusing. I, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've had the same struggle with bios, and then eventually, I, because I think that. Um, you get lumped into these groups of people then too because you're self-identifying as the same thing that other people are self-identifying as and then you kind of wonder where do I fit in relation to this yeah yeah. so I think that in fact uh, what I'm what I'm realizing now is that it's more authentic to embrace all of those kind of like patchwork facets of your identity Mm. um, and acknowledging that you are a herbalist and a musician and an artist Mm. and all of those things and that you don't necessarily have to be one thing and that there might be some sort of power in that vagueness. Yeah. But do you think it's, do you think it's still vague? I mean, to to list them, Mm. do you think, is it still... Is it still vague? Maybe. Yeah. 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 Maybe you're right. Because there's may, well, maybe more so than just saying one thing, because mm-hmm. then your your focus is diverted. Yeah. 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 But I think there's something really important about being true to that passion. And mm-hmm. I actually, I think I, this might be an interesting tie into both of you because mm-hmm. um, Yusuf, you're a, a video maker as well, and as are you, Steph. And I think both of your that kind of particular work contains an element of collage. So in use of, in your case, it's appropriated footage from videos, um, kind of re- recontextualized from movies, kind of famous movies like Holy Mountain. And then stuff, yours is stop motion animation. So they're kind of cut out shapes that you're re, um, mm-hmm. coordinating into videos. And I would encourage everyone to YouTube, uh, I guess it would be Esther Gray's. The Del, she, De, Steph made a video for Del Bell's The Rains that's really, really incredible. I think we've played that song on air before. And then also for The Healer. Body, Body of the, the Healer. Healer. Yeah, so mm-hmm. if you YouTube those two songs, you can see some of Steph's work. Um, but I'm I, I'm reminded of this Jim Jeremy's quote that I might read out if you guys are sure. Yes, that. please. Okay, so he says, Nothing is original. Steal from anywhere that resonates with inspiration or fuels your imagination. Devour old films, new films, music, books, um, photographs, poems, dreams, random conversations, paintings, architecture, bridges, street signs, trees, clouds, bodies of water, light and shadows. Select only things to steal that speak directly to your soul. If you do this, your work and your theft will be authentic. Authenticity is valuable. Originality is non-existent. And don't bother concealing your thievery. Celebrate it if you feel like it. In any case, always remember what Jean-Luc Godard said. It is not where you take things from, it's where you take them to. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if this kind of... It's related and unrelated, I suppose, but it does relate to this idea of of finding things that speak to your gut instead of trying to maybe take on the label of mm. I'm an artist, um, finding what it truly is that's um, working within you and, and appropriating it. But I wonder if we can maybe talk a little bit about that in terms of of bringing together footage. Like, how do you find something that's new, that is authentic to you and your, mm. and your representation while using kind of in re-sampling right. other people's work. That's an interesting quote, and it's it's an encouraging one, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, when I was working on the Del Bell video, I was, you know, 
um, bopping around in the the book stacks at the library looking mm. through old books and I was just I mean I'd listened to the song a lot so I had this idea of this uh, this world and this feeling that I wanted to kind of try to show visually so I was just looking through books and I would just sort of recognized when I saw it or not, you know, mm. and so I was just photocopying all this stuff, just gathering up all this raw material to cut from, and once I got so immersed in it, it had all just become my own stuff. After I made the video, then I had some time away from it, and then I looked and I could see that I hadn't, um, you know, in a lot of, in collage, there's lots of room to, like, really really mutilate and really take things apart and I mean a head doesn't need to stay intact it could actually have you know a hammer growing out of the cheek or like it you know and I I saw that in that video I didn't do a lot of that I had the statues that were intact but I mean I had just become so wrapped up in my world of I, I was actually mesmerized by the the shadow technique that I had sort of mm -hmm. figured out or worked on that that became just as much a part of of the work as the collage itself um so it sounds like a, it's a little bit intuitive like you're yeah. you're recognizing it when you see it in that book yeah and then it's also a little bit about the actual materiality of it itself yeah. of like seeing a shadow and wanting to experiment with that technique yeah i'm like seeing things in books and imagining how they might fit into this world that i i you know the song that i heard you know the song mm -hmm. that i did the video mm -hmm. for was sort of it, it was a, it was it's the same thing it's that vagueness it's that idea it's sort of there's kind of a story there but it's not all it's not all clear how it unfolds how it you know what even just in the creation process that you don't quite know yet right, how right, it's going to turn right right yeah so in the song i recognize that and so i'm filling in those gaps with my own imagination mm. and then and then just how you work with things they always things always fall differently than you imagine them and it it's kind of that magic when it starts to take shape. Absolutely. Um, what about you, Yusuf? Like, you're, you know, you're with your work. Um. <clears throat> I think for me, it's because it has a lot to do with my background, just like growing up in an Eastern household and um, not like when when you grow up in an Eastern household, there isn't this emphasis on you as an individual mm -hmm. and you as someone important or special. Mm. In fact, it's quite the opposite. So I feel like mm, if there were times when I was younger and I felt like I want to present myself a certain way or achieve some sort of um, identity, I I got some backlash from my father and it was just kind of like a lot of it was basically there's no room for ego in this house there's no room for individuality there's no room for the spotlight no one is in the spotlight no one is allowed to be in the spotlight so it was this kind of um this upbringing that i had and um like what you were talking about when you started performing music the idea of being the center of attention or being in the, in like the center stage, I just want it to be about my work. I don't want it to be about me at all. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't even want my name to be branded. Like the idea of my name being branded makes me upset. Yeah. Because like my last name is really really old, and I would hate for it to be something commercial or something you know something else. 
So um, then I wonder too if <coughs> if this idea of taking other footage and kind of reworking it is a way of directly and aesthetically kind of adding to a conversation instead of like giving into this idea of like a genius artist who is like creating everything himself. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Like um I I look at myself as an editor. So mm. if I'm an artist, I'm an editor and that's it. Like so I re-edit information, I re-edit um video footage and um photo footage, but the idea is my main purpose is that I know what these mediums who they're targeting. Mm-hmm. I understand that they're mainly designed for a male heterosexual subjective viewer. And all I want to do is redirect that to imagine it this way. Imagine if it wasn't designed for your eyes, but designed for someone else's eyes, but the context is still the same. Mm-hmm. So it's more about the macro not the micro. It's like the idea of the medium is the message, right? Mm. So it's like if you change the way the medium is designed, then you've changed the message. I think that's mm-hmm, where I'm coming mm-hmm. from. Right, that totally makes sense. And I I wonder if this is something that happens a lot more these days too. Like I think I think a lot more people now would call themselves editors. Um, but there is still something that is authentic to you in that interpretation that you are coming from your own context, and I think that might. Does, do, you, do you feel like that affects the way that you edit video? If you see everything together, you start to see some sort of patterns. pattern. You see patterns. So, you see. Um, I talk a lot about fame and the pursuit of fame. I think that if you're an artist, if you're pursuing art because you want to be famous or because you have some sort of narcissistic narcissistic output like you want to see how hot you look on a magazine or something like that i don't think you're doing it for the right reasons i mm-hmm. feel like people need to do it for the art and art alone and contribute that to the body of art this is how i contribute something authentic not authentic but this is how i can contribute to this body of work mm-hmm. without it being about me right to add your voice to that conversation. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of conflict, I think, with my upbringing and right. different backgrounds and different parental backgrounds. It's just sort of this conflict that I work out with myself. I like what you say about uh, it being about the work and not about the artist. And mm-hmm. I I feel like the most meaningful experiences of being an artist are when it's like the artist kind of ceases to exist and you're just there's kind of no you're working and you are you dissolve you are, even as exactly. a body kind of yeah. that's exactly. when it's the most you know there's nothing like it yeah. Yeah. yeah well and maybe that's the true evasion of categorization then too, yeah that the the fact that you're an artist or anything that that you would kind of like any parameters you would try to put around yourself are erased and all you present is that kind of like authentic voice yeah. Like the director. So, like, when it comes to movies, the director is the invisible artist. He mm. is, or she is, the main contributor and the core of that movie. But she or he is invisible. Mm-hmm. This is an ideal place for me. This is what I want. Mm. I want to create great work, and I want to be invisible in the process. Mm. Steph, I'm wondering if this might be a good introduction to we the question that we ask every guest on the show, which is, do you want to ask it, Yusuf, actually? Uh. The secret ingredient okay it's so secret that not even you knows about it (laughs) i don't know about this secret ingredient (laughs) um steph 
Um, what is the secret ingredient in, in art? Well, I, I yeah, I think it probably relates to what we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. I think maybe for me, the secret ingredient is the thing that happens. It's the thing that happens that you can't you can't know what it is until it happens. It's the thing you can't catch. The mm-hmm. kind of the mistake that you didn't know you were waiting for until it arrives. It's just sort of the way the things fall, and then you see it. It maybe you think of it as maybe you think of life as fate or chance or whatever it is, but it's just whatever happens. It's like when things, you know. Now I'm just no, it's great rambling, but. It's the, the chips falling where the, they may. Yeah, it's the thing that that happens, and then, you know, you can't predict it, and it directs. Like when your it comes together, step. when it all comes together. Yeah, yeah, something you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's I'll so leave great. it at that. Yeah, leave it at that. That's <laughs> so totally wonderful. Um, so I think we might play one more song, and I'm wondering if we could cue up that video if sure. that's easy enough to do. I think so. Um, Steph. Pre- uh, presented at Kazoo, the most recent Kazoo Festival, um, uh, with Snake Church, which is Mike Michael Mucci, incredible guitarist, and Ben Grossman's project. Um, they often play with found footage of these snake churches, which are kind of mystical places in, <laughs> in the southern U.S., <laughs> where um, there's a, a kind of connection between um, the, the handling of poisonous snakes and, and religion. Um, and played, Steph played with a group of people. What was the piece called? Guitar Trio. Okay. It's a Reese Chatham composition. It was very funny, the write-out that um, Ben <laughs> sent was... Yeah, this Reese Chatham fellow had written out all the instructions right down to what guitar pick you should use. And, um, you know, it's it's like this kind of free form in that there's sort of one person that's leading and it could be you could run through it all really quickly or you could extend it over mm-hmm. 20 minutes. But it's, um, yeah, the guitar trio is the piece. So there were four guitarists performing that night and one bassist and mm-hmm. one drummer. Amazing. Yeah. So we'll hear a little, little it's like in one minute clip. So here's a one minute clip right. from that performance. Fantastic. It's always put me on the spot at all. I just... So we just realized that that's not quite working. I'm so sorry, everyone, for that one minute of radio silence. Um, it was. It's really just one note on the guitar played <laughs> over and over in unison. And, okay. You know, you can imagine it. It'll yeah. be better than what it actually is <laughs> right, if you just right. imagine Projects this tension, your... the tension building. You know, Dan's only on the hi hats. You know, this this rhythmic monotonic, you know, driving thing is happening, and everyone is just waiting with anticipation to see how it's going to unfold. It's kind of so dark beautiful. too. I was there for the set, there. and it was I felt like it was a little dark and like yeah. foreboding, just yeah. like. 
yeah, I think the anticipation of the outcome and not knowing what it was was a really good effect. Yeah. Amazing. Suspense. Suspense. Suspenseful. Okay. So I think that's all for this week for The Secret Ingredient on CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph on traditional Adewanderan territory. Um, We've been in the studio with Steph Yates. Um, Thanks for joining us, Steph. Thanks for having me. And I've been co-hosting with Yusuf Ramadi. Thanks, Yusuf, for for joining me in this. No problem. Thanks for having me. That's really great. Um, And we'll be back next week. We have a really exciting interview coming up with the Fast Worms, Kim Causey and Daisuke's. They're um, a witch-friendly punk DIY collective who teaches here at the university, and we're really excited that we'll have them on the show. So tune in again next week at 9 a.m. Des cornichons, de la moutarde, du pain de beurre, des petits oignons, des confitures.